Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. So today we are doing our first ever repeat guest with the exception of Kit Farrell on the Herd Quitter podcast. And the guest that's coming back on today is Wally Olson. And in case you haven't heard the first conversation, I would recommend that you take a look back to Herd Quitter podcast episode number 17 to hear a little bit about Wally and his history and what he's up to now. We talked a lot in that episode about how to make a ranch business more profitable. So definitely go back. Um, There's a lot of nuggets of wisdom, and we're all trying to make our businesses more profitable. But he generously offered to come back on once more and discuss the sell-by marketing concept, which whether you find it interesting or not, I've been wanting to learn more about this for a long time. And I've been looking for information on it out there, but there really isn't much on this topic. So I'm really excited to have you back. Wally, welcome back to the Herd Quitter podcast. Very good. Well, I've been very fortunate, like I said in the first podcast, to have worked with some great people. And one of them that I stumbled into was Bud Williams. And I truly believe he felt sorry for me. And he he really helped me. And I would go visit him and Eunice on weekends. And every weekend I went down there, Bud Williams had a uh, an agenda. He had thought through what he wanted to teach me that weekend. They were really good, and and sell by marketing has, you know, I have profited greatly from it, and also uh, peace of mind of it because, just like the chaotic markets today, with yesterday with the JBS plant, you know, getting hacked, and corn was up, I think, twenty six cents yesterday, you know, and feeder cattle were down, and all the chaos that's going on. <clears throat> well, it, it really doesn't matter. We'll just work through it. And so let's start with, uh, yeah, you, you, so you learned from Bud and Eunice Williams. And that was one thing I was curious is, are they sort of the origin of this concept or was it, where, where is the origin of the sell by marketing concept? That is the origin of, you know, sell by marketing and, and the stockmanship came from Bud and Eunice, you know, I'm forever indebted to them for what they did. Well, very good. Let's start the biggest thing with sell-by marketing is that you deal with today. And that is, what are the markets doing today? And then you got to understand that you are looking at relationships more than price. And and what I'm saying there is, is you're looking at the relationship of trying finding out what is overvalued and what is undervalued in the marketplace. Then, you know, you react to the market. You sell what's overvalued and you keep or buy what's undervalued. And that's basically how it works. And and it's it's very simple. You got to be very disciplined. You're looking at relationships between different, not prices, like you said, but the different ages of animal, the different kind of groups of animal, weights of animal. Classes. classes, classes of, okay. And weights of animals. I mean, you compare... Steers to heifers, cows to heifers, uh, you know, and then on weight, you know, is the market paying you for a value again? You know, you're comparing 300 pound calves to 400 pound calves and 400 to 500 and stuff. And and so it's just a 
a number of relationships. It's just basically math. <laughs> I was never good at math in high school. Yeah. <laughs> that was never my strong suit. But. Well, this is pretty simple math, so yeah, I'm not going to allow that excuse to continue. <laughs> sure. Well, I can do what I did for my uh, my passing my college algebra final exam was call my brother on Skype, who is a math wizard, and he can walk me through it. So if I need to for this, I'll just give him a call and <laughs> he can get me through yes. it. Yes. So very good. And, and so what you, you need to understand, or I mean, like I said, you need to know and understand yourself. What will you do and what won't you do? And especially when you get talk about sell-by marketing, most cow-calf people, they aren't going to go to a sale barn, you know, and all the diseases and all of this. Well, you do not need to ever go buy an animal from a sale barn. What you have to do as far as cow-calf people do they need to look at their inventory, what they have on inventory. And when I'm talking about inventory, I'm talking about heifer calves, yearling heifers, bred heifers, cows and calves, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, on up on, on your cows. So, and you got to understand the relationships of all of those. So you never have to go buy one animal out of sale barn. I will not allow that excuse anymore on marketing for the cow-calf person. You know, you just, you need to understand that it will work and just go forward. And then you also have to develop self-discipline. You know, two of the biggest drivers of the market's fear and greed. You got to understand it and you've got to eliminate that. You've just got to make good decision-making to eliminate the fear and greed. And you also have to develop patience. You have to you know, you do the math, you know what you can spend, and then you just have to either act upon that at that time if it worked. If not, you just have to have the discipline to just sit there. And you also have to plan your profit. And, and that's very critical. You need to plan in your profit. And ever since I've started planning a profit, I have usually made a profit. And how do you go about like determining what is a fair profit? Because I've, I've heard people like Dallas Mount, I think, and different folks say, you know, plan a profit and, and what's your profit goals. And it seems like, you know, obviously it'd be great to say, well, as much profit as possible, <laughs> but that's not really a specific goal. How, do you have any sort of benchmarks or numbers or what's reasonable to uh, expect on a given amount of animals or acres or something for profit goals? Well, one thing, you know, since I do not ranch it, I mean, I have animals, but I do not have a ranch. If you have a ranch, I would seriously suggest you work on profit per acre. I do not know for sure. I hadn't thought about that, you know, just because I haven't had to do it. But what I do is I work on a certain percentage profit on on investment, you know. And so, you know, if I have a $500 calf, you know, I would like to make $50 profit. Sure. And, and then you also have to factor in time and stuff. You know, ranching for profit uses 10% opportunity costs, you know, and their direct costs. So that's a very good place to start. But I would caution you, you know, if you put 10% profit in, that's what you will achieve, 10% profit. I have found that if you ramp that up, you can achieve a lot more than 10% profit. I mean, you can ramp it up. I use a lot of times 25% return, and it's amazingly you can do that quite often. 
you know, just work at it. And also, one thing I learned from Bud Williams is not quite right. You know, I'm not wrong. I'm just not quite right. Anytime <laughs> I'm like that. wrong as if I quit. The rest of the time, I'm just adjusting and not quite right. And sure. So, so you just start, and then, well, if you can't achieve, you know, 25, back down to 20. If you can't do that, back down to 15. You know, mm -hmm. but you'll still be better off than stopping with the 10. And so probably this all comes to back to kind of what you were talking about doing the math and, and no, undervaluing and overvalue, like knowing. I'm just curious. So it would seem that whatever the market is willing to pay is what the value of that animal is. So when you say undervalued or overvalued, what do you mean by that? Because in economic theory, I guess you would say is that whatever the the market is willing to pay is the value. But uh, I guess I'm, how do you how do you determine then if an animal is actually under or overvalued in comparison with another one? If you are working with uh, stalker cattle or something you're putting gain on, what you do is you compare the value of gain. Okay. And what I'm doing saying is is you compare you know like you compare a 300 pound calf to a 400 pound calf, and does the difference between them allow you enough to do it? And if you sure. watch the the values of gain, you know, in calves, it usually goes up to about 450 or 500 pounds. And then after that, it just usually, matter of fact, matter of fact, there's lots of time there's negative value of gains from 500 pounds on up, especially in the spring of the year. And, and hmm. because people are wanting 500 pound calves to go on grass. Six, nobody wants the 600-pound calves because they're too big for grass in their mind, but they're not big enough for the feed yards and stuff. So it's just it's just goes on continuously. Yeah. It sounds like then it's 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 uh, you have to be adaptable. Like I know a lot of people who probably they developed systems and they know nutritional plans to bring in a certain weight and feed them a certain to a certain weight and everything is consistent and similar. But you have to be adaptable and and also, I guess, know your own numbers because cost of gain, I, I would venture to guess that probably a lot of people don't actually even know what a cost of gain at their ranch is. Uh, maybe they do, maybe maybe they don't, but and they also have to know what the cost of gain difference is between those different weights because there's probably differences there as well. That is that is correct. And, uh, and one of the biggest things, the problem that, uh, how do I want to say this? Uh, you need to you need to understand, and you were just talking about you know a lot of people you know you buy a certain weight calf and you carry it to a certain weight calf and you plant it out that way you know that is that is pure buy sell marketing right there you know you buy a calf and and you're not using any relationships in theory you're basically just buying what you want you know? sure and and within what I call it within the deal if you buy four hundred pound calf and you plan on carrying it to 800 pounds, you know. Within that time frame, you probably make a lot of money, and there's other times when you own that calf, you either don't make any money or you actually lose some value. Hmm. But if you don't look within the deal, you never, you never know that. And it's the same way with cows. You know, if you do not, you know, most balance sheets, you just put cows on there at an average price. Well, cows have a huge difference in value, and you've got to track that and compare it. You know, that's where I can this adamant 
creature of appreciation and depreciation in the cow herd, you know. Yeah. So the you, you talked about the kind of that business model of taking from 400 to 800 pounds is essentially just a buy sell. What's so what then exactly, you know, sell buy, how does that that differs? And well, if if you presently own some animals, you take their weight, you know, and figure out, and this is in the stalker business or the game business, you figure out what their value is. Mm-hmm. And then you compare it to what you can go buy. And if you find something that you can buy cheaper and make a profit on, you sell that one and you buy back and you know sure. all your costs right then. You're not guessing at these costs or guessing at how much they're going to gain. You know that. Hmm. Okay. So it's almost looking at like, yeah, just for clarification here, if one individual, a buy sell marketer is essentially looking at the purchase being the starting point, um, you know, I will purchase these animals and the ending point will be, I will sell these animals at whatever given point in time. And that will be, you know, this is its own independent, you know, business transaction. Whereas the alternative of the sell by marketing is I own these animals and it will be complete once I replace them with something else. That is absolutely correct. You got to always replace your inventory. Okay, sure. It makes a lot of sense as it's kind of like working through my mind here. And I, uh, it makes a lot of sense, but I'm I'm just like some challenges that I'm wondering and stuff. Like if you buy animals that at one given point look like they're undervalued, uh, you buy a group of 500 pounders because they seem you, your cost of gain will make it profit at it by bringing them to 700 pounds. But then if the market shifts within that time, to where they're now 700 pounders is no longer, a, you know, no longer made a profit there. Is there any, is there any sort of ways to hedge or to lock in those margins or you're not, am I understanding that correctly? Well, no, what you're, what you're doing is you're, 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 you're taking kind of buy, sell and sell buy and kind of <laughs> blending it together and making yourself sure. into a gray area that you really mess up in, which I have yeah. been. But the thing is, is, you know, you made your profit when you made the trade, when you traded whatever for the 500 pound cap, you made your profit there. Sure. And so now that you, you've got the, and if the 500 pound calf is truly the most undervalued animal, Sometime it will it will be overvalued. I mean, it just works amazing. Now that might be at six hundred pounds or seven or whatever. But whenever it's overvalued or something else is undervalued, you you make the trade. I see. Yeah. So I was trying to compare it to undervalued. So if I thought I was buying at 500 pounds because it's undervalued and now 700 pounds is undervalued, I was again trying to compare it to my purchase price. But in reality, you should be looking at, so now I have a 700 pound animal. What is undervalued currently? Not not as how does it compare to my purchase price, but how does it compare again at any given point in time, like you say, to other classes of animals on the market? One thing on relationships of the market is is you can look back and you can look forward. Well, if there is nothing you can do about looking back. And that is, you know, mm-hmm. I paid this much for this animal and, and now I, you know, I cannot sell it. And I'll give you a mm-hmm. great example of that. And when the market cattle went down, you know, 2014, 15 and get into 16, you know, Brett Heifer's 
you know, had went from $2,900 and now bread heifers are only selling for like $1,600. And if you looked at that bread heifer, you had $1,500 or almost $1,600 in her, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, boy, at that time, nobody would sell that heifer, you know, because they're looking back and, you know, we only made $5. But if you look forward... In that same time, the price of a heifer calf to replace that bred heifer had just tumbled. And so there was still a really good trade there by looking forward. I see. In this model where you're always, you're completing the transaction when you replace your inventory. I'm in Minnesota, the upper Midwest. And and in what I'm trying and kind of coming to the conclusion of here is that maybe it doesn't make sense to own livestock in winter at least because I can't graze them cheaply or freely and it's expensive to supplement with any sort of off uh, you know, input or hay or whatever the feed is. So if I'm trying to replace my inventory, I'm selling something in the fall and mm-hmm. I want to replace my inventory, it doesn't maybe make sense or am I wrong? It doesn't maybe make sense to replace my inventory at this given point in time. So I have to wait till spring now to replace my inventory potentially are you putting yourself at risk of the market shifting and putting you like if if you sell at a low and then the market jumps by the spring now you don't even have the kind of income to to replace your inventory at the the stocking rate you need to fill your your acres well one thing one thing you have to understand when we talk about inventory there's basically there's there's three things and then there's a fourth that you have in inventory and and one is is livestock and it's kind of in a triangle. One uh, on the bottom of the triangle is uh, is uh, money, and on the other side is grass, and the top of the triangle is uh, livestock. And the reason you do it that way in your mind is that if you always have money and always have grass, and this is something Bud Williams always stressed, is you always have money and always have grass, and then you get the livestock. If you've got too much money or too much grass, probably not anything too serious is going to happen to your operation. But if you have too much livestock around, it can be disastrous. So for in your case, you don't want to run cattle through the uh, the winter. What you do is is you sell them. Then you take that money and and that is inventory money. And, and I almost recommend people have an inventory bank account and it goes in that bank account and it can only be used to buy inventory because what happens is that people, you know, you can have a few hundred thousand or a huge amount of money if you sell out. And, and what happens is it just kind of sifts away like sand in the wind because, well, you know, you got this money, well, you'll go buy a new pickup because we got, you know, $400,000, you know. Yes, yeah. You got to hold it. And then when spring comes, you just go out and figure out what's the most undervalued animal out there and go again. Because probably grinding through the winter with those animals is so unprofitable that like I said, in, in, you know, like in the spring, you know, you will not be able to go buy a, uh, you know, a 500 pound calf or whatever is perceived as the ideal thing to go to grass. So they'll gain well, you know, you may need to buy a, you know, 600 pound animal, or you may need to buy a 300 pound animal, but you will find something that is undervalued. 
Maybe just buy it and go again. And I suppose worst case scenario, if the market jumps and now what your your inventory money is no longer able to fully stock your ranch and fully replace, if you have excess grass, like you talk about, you have options. <laughs> Better than having not enough grass, you can either find someone to custom graze for or you know or or make a little hay if you need to in the in the bad times or something uh you know in those times if if that's something you're willing to do you know there's it's better to have like you say excess grass than than not enough that's correct and here's here's some principles that I want to get through to people if you're not willing to sell something you just bought it and and so so needless to say that if you're in the cow business in uh, 2014 and you had a nice black two, three, four-year-old cow, you bought some $4,000 cows because you didn't sell them. And also what you paid for something has no bearing on what you need to do. I mean, it, you, that has messed up more people you know, that comes back to whether you're looking at the relationships forward or the relationships backwards. And for God's sake, get looking back because there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you can. Yeah. Well, those are those two already. I, I think of we've got a couple old John Deere stackers sitting in our yard out here that haven't been moved in years with the exception of to get them out of the way. And I have this conversation with my dad every now and then too. It's like, gosh, maybe we could get 500 bucks for them. But in his mind, it's like, ah, those things are worth 2000, <laughs> but they're not making any money sitting in the yard. And they're certainly not, uh, you know, like you say, uh, would you go out and buy two more for 500 bucks if you didn't have them? If you wouldn't, then you've currently bought these for that price. So yeah, it's uh, interesting. And then the yeah, you're like you talk about going backwards. I, I was lucky enough to uh, buy into livestock <laughs> in the fall of 2014, which was the not best time to buy into it. So I've very much experienced that downturn, and and, and the had to get over the looking back and just understand that, like you say, this is what we have. This is where we're at. We can only go forward from here. That's correct. Like I said, you've got to deal with today. Uh, you know, I'm quite sure that there is hours of television shows, you know, going on right now and radio shows. And, and there's ag economists out there, you know, talking about the market in the future. Well, you know, have you ever seen have you ever seen any tracking of how their predictions worked? You know, back in 2014, the reason you probably bought some of those cows is they were projecting that, by golly, we had to have high cattle prices at least till 2018 or 19, just because of the how genetics and reproduction works and the cycle and everything. You know, we had to have them that long. Well, shazam, that, you know, <laughs> metal what? It didn't. It wasn't that long, yeah. No, it wasn't um, that long. And, uh, yeah, were there some more points? I apologize, I cut you off there. Well, on the points you were sharing. Right. You no, know, basically that's it. And like I said, you need to be disciplined on your inventory money. I mean, you you know what you what you, when you work through it, you know you will come. You know you have to have the money to replace your inventory. You have to have the money to run your ranch, and then any money after that, then you have a choice if either if you want to expand your business or if you want to go buy something, you know, but that's the only money that you can use that. 
So on that, I'm kind of curious your perspective on something earlier. You talked about, you know, that inventory money, having half a million dollars or something, whatever it is, and sitting there in your inventory money. Do you, what are your thoughts on using debt or leverage as your inventory money? Or do you believe in cash or what's your thoughts, I guess, on those different Well, ideas? let's say that, that I have operated almost totally leveraged in the 1980s and and that didn't work out real well and and so uh you know leverage is a tool there's there you know if you go to the bible you know the bible's pretty against leverage but also there is a time you know that you can use leverage to to very good extent i mean if if it's working for you it's a great tool if it's working against you it's horrible so you need to be cautious about that. But to get started and stuff, you are probably going to have to use some leverage. And that is where I look at this, figuring, you know, if I can make 15, 20, 25% on a, a deal, I'm probably willing, more willing to leverage it than if I'm only going to make, you know, 9% or whatever, 10%, you know. So. Mm, sure. Uh, one of one of the takeaways from being around Bud Williams, he said, "You've got to have money to spend money. You don't spend money to make money." And every time I have tried to spend money to make money, I mean, it has been a disaster. I like that. You have to. What was it again? You have to have money to spend money. You you have to have money to spend money, and yeah. and basically, I raised my children on they have to have money to spend money, and it's worked out very well. You don't want yeah. to play Monopoly with them, but uh, it's worked out well. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to go broke if you're spending money you have. That's, yes, that's, and, that's, and that's, that's, you know, and also what happens if you get to use and leverage, you, you think you need things that you really don't need. And so if you're profitable and and you can, you can you know, if you're making 15% return, you know, you can grow your business at 15%. Well, you go, you know, 15% this year and another 15% next year, you know, and compound it and you can have tremendous growth. I'm wondering if there's any more we should talk on on the cow-calf thing. Because I what I've heard of sell-by marketing in the past primarily comes from, I think, Gordon Hazard's book and, and talking about it in relationship to stalkers. And I've always had it kind of in, in that mindset. But using it for cow-calf, can we talk about that again? How does this apply to the cow-calf business? Well, one thing is I sent you a slide on the intrinsic cow. And basically what that is, is, is that is what the cow is worth, you know, if you just holler to the sale barn. And in theory, that is really all a cow is worth. I mean, there is people that are experiencing the droughts right now that, that, you know, have the greatest genetics and everything, but they're only worth what slaughtered cattle price is worth. And so if you understand that, then you can start saying whether a cow is undervalued and overvalued. And, and then it comes into value to me. You know, what is that, that cow's value to me? And, and so as you work through this, and this is where you know, the invent understanding your inventory and how to profit from your inventory value and the changes in your inventory value. And and a good example is is most of the time a weaned heifer calf 
is undervalued to what a feeder heifer is worth, you know, a six, 700 pound feeder heifer. That feeder heifer is undervalued to what a bred heifer is worth, usually. And then, and then as you go along, that bred heifer, you know, now she has a calf. And so she's giving you a calf coupon or whatever you want to call it. And she's also holding her value. You understand what I'm saying? She is worth mm-hmm. about the same. And, you know, when they get to be threes and fours, they still are holding their value. At five, that's kind of iffy. And then at six and seven, they start dropping off or they start depreciating. And what makes the cow-calf business, in my opinion, break even, if you look, I do what we call the bell curve. And how you do the bell curve is what the value is of a 550-pound heifer calf and a cull cow. And if those two are usually pretty close to the same price. And then and then above that, you put in the value of a bread cow and you will have appreciation or you will have an increasing in value of that cow. Some people use increasing value. I use appreciation. And then she will go up to a point and then she starts losing value or depreciating. And, and, and so what you do is you run the, your inventory up in value, you never capture it, and then you lose it. And it just comes and goes. And that's, to me, is, you know, you just cannot allow that to go on or you're going to be break-even. That's just the way it is. I know I was a stalker person. You know, I, the, there was no way you could make any money in the cow-calf business. And one of the weekends that I went down to visit Bud and Eunice, we had a lesson in how to profit from cows. and. Uh, Ever since then, I have probably always owned some cows and stuff. If you, and just kind of thinking through this, is there any point at which longevity helps switch those numbers to making it make sense to sell at five years old versus sell as a call later? Well, one thing is you have to understand that, that whenever your cow starts to lose value, those calves have to cover that cost. You understand what I'm saying there? You know, so... So cows uh, from that point on, you're saying that, well, that, you know, okay. If a cow depreciates from five to six, if it's $200, that calf that she raised has to cover that. You cannot dump mm-hmm. it back on the, the two-year-old cow and the three-year-old cow and the four-year-old cow because they did not lose it. It's right there is where you lost it. And straight line sure. depreciation is where we come up with all this garbage. I shouldn't say that. The belief (laughs) you have to have a cow that is eight years old to pay for herself. Mm -hmm. A cow should pay for herself every day. You understand what I'm saying? She should be going up in value every day. And and if you compare, if you compare a four-year-old cow to an eight-year-old cow, you have a whole lot more cash to apply to paying for a cow there than you do. as an eight-year-old cow, I will send you a slide on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. So does it make sense at some point to buy depreciated cows as well as and, and own a herd of depreciated cows as, as opposed to a herd of appreciating cows? If you, if, you know, it depends on who you are. I have a very good friend that runs uh, around, you know, he, he does not keep any heifers. He and he does very good, but he is a master at buying undervalued cows. You know, many you know you can buy late calving cows and you can move them up. 
contrary to popular belief. You can move them up in, in calving season if you want to, you know. But to me, you know, the biggest thing in the cow business is you make sure you calve with nature so you don't have all these costs. And if you're, if you are, uh, you know, going to start out in the cow business, you need to buy frugal cows. And what a frugal cow is, is a cow that has value. You understand? I'm not talking about a cheap cow, but I'm talking about a cow that's, you know, not quite right. Or, I mean, how do I want to say this? You know, she, she probably, you know, if it's just say you want to run you know, black cows. Well, you may need to start out buying red cows because you can buy them cheap, breed them to a black bull, a really good black bull. And, and in a few years, you will have your black cows. So, you know, my deal is, is you buy uh, reasonably priced cows and then you know, use really good bulls on them. Great point. Is there anything else that you want to talk about on this topic of sell by marketing that we haven't talked about yet? One of the one of the big thing is is uh, you know they talk people talk about having terminal cows you know breeding the terminal terminal bulls mm-hmm. and, and the problem with that is mostly your profit in the cow calf business and the way I look at it is made in the appreciating heifer calf to a cow I mean that heifer calf cannot outgain you understand what I'm saying on gaining weight to come close to doing a, uh, uh, you know, what she can as far as improving her value in reproduction. Do you understand what I just said there? You know? Yeah, I think so. If you're really wanting to make money in the cow business, you got to understand that the appreciating value in the reproductive arena is far outweighs the gain that those terminal cross cattle or can make sure so in a way you would say that an individual is better off focusing on breeding maternal and marketing well marketing their heifers and maybe taking a slight discount on their bull calves their steer calves because the value made up on having good maternal females sold as bred females will outdo the alternative of breeding everything terminal and selling everything on a commercial market that's correct and and then you have to then then you go out and you know how are you going to uh, you know how are you how are you going to uh, you know replace your cattle you know you're probably going out and buying overvalued red heifers and one one of the great things that ever came out of Jim Garrish's mouth he said you know it's absolutely all right to own or to buy high priced uh, cows but you got to make sure you sell them while they're still high priced you know so you sure. need to be aware of that. And, and uh, you know, if you want to be a terminal, you know, if you want to do something simple, you know, and you can do it, is just, you know, go buy depreciated cows and turn, breed them to terminal bulls. You know, it's all in the numbers. You know, I'm known as the five-year-old, you know, cow and out guy, and I'm not. I I'm, I'm, I'm want to make a profit. So sure. you have to, you know. You know, I'll run old cows. I'll run young cows, you know. No, that's, that's a really intriguing idea because I've, you know, I've even thought like if I was in a commercial market that maybe it would make sense to have a maternal herd and cross to a terminal sire, but then you're not gaining those values of the female, you know, the commercial females uh, or the the breeding females. Also, this probably, I'm, I'm 
curious your thoughts here and stuff too. This probably only makes sense if you have a low cost heifer development system as well, because there's a lot of people probably who are losing money on taking heifers to a bred stage to that class of being a bred female. If it's a high input, high, high development cost system. That is absolutely correct. See my, my, the way I look at a heifer is, is uh, I'm going to keep the heifers and I'm going to run them as stalker heifers. Sure. And I'm going to be profitable running them as stalker heifers. Mm-hmm. I am going to put bulls with them, depending on how many heifers I want to get bred for a short time. And I'm going to let the bulls decide which heifers come into my herd. And then the rest of the heifers, uh, you know, will just be sold as feeder heifers. And if you put, if you, the, uh, how do I want to say this? One of the greatest things in the cow-calf business that I never understood is heifer development yards. They brought the heifers in, they fed them to the maximum. And uh, I mean, they got 97% of the heifers bred and they've got all these wonderful statistics. It cost you a fortune. And then if you looked at the next year on those heifers, since I'm basically kind of a cow trader, you know, they were the greatest things for a cow trader. They'd come up open, they'd breed, breed back easy, but it was just devastating on, they, you know, getting the bread for the second time. You know, like the Padlock Ranch is, is doing a low input uh, system on their heifers and you need to do that, you know. And, you know, here comes coming back to Kit. It's, and a lot of this has to do with genetics. You know, I mean, you have... Easy fleshing, moderate framed cows. They will, they you can do it a lot cheaper than if you've got those things that are pumping out them big calves. You know, mm-hmm. see to me the big calves, and this goes back to the terminal. You know, you don't very seldom get paid for big calves. You know, you get you take away more money, but you very seldom get paid very well for doing it. Matter of fact, you usually lose money, and that mm-hmm. is a Another reason why the cow-calf business is a marginal business. That's fascinating. That's that's definitely something that I'd not I'd not really even thought about. Is just that the the money is made on that heifer and that female uh, side. That's that's really intriguing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, what else is there that you'd like to discuss? One thing as you change over from buy sell marketing or for what you're doing now. Here is my suggestions on how to do it. If you are looking at getting in the stalker business, you decide how much money you're willing to put at risk to learn how to do the stalker business. When you change or do something new, you know, there is an educational process and you have to usually pay tuition for education. Matter of fact, one of my accountant is very nice and rather than a loss if we don't quit it's just a line called tuition and hmm. and and you've always got to be doing that but in the stalker business when you get ready to do it you take the amount of money you want to do and you divide it into 10 equal parts and you go to the sale you figure out what is most undervalued animals and you go to the sale barn or wherever you're going to do it and you buy however much money that amount of money will do. The next week you do it again. Sure. From now you're up to 20%. Next week you do, you're up to 30, up to 40, up to 50. Yeah. Week six, you're up to 60%. And maybe 
at week six, you maybe ought to be looking at what you bought because you will probably have bought different sized animals. And there may be something in your inventory that's overvalued that you should sell. Hmm. But by dividing it up into 10 equal parts, you will stay out of a wreck that if you just decide that I want to go and buy a load of cattle, you go buy the whole load of cattle, the sale barn, the order buyers in the sale barn will have fun just running them cattle up on you. And uh, that is a great point. And to those listening, they need to hear that because that's that's just a great point. I, I'd never even considered that either. Just the, yeah, dividing it out just for an experience and like looking at it as an educational year maybe. And hopefully you can make a profit on every one of those purchases if you're doing it right. But if you're not, better to have it in a tenth of your expense than in 100%. And also, you will not get into a health wreck. You understand what I'm trying to say? You know. Yeah, yeah, it, sure. It just... It just is great to uh, you know spread things out, and then in on the on the cow side is you need to be very aware of cash flow if you're starting out, because if you just say you take a heifer calf, and if you take her and raise her up and breed her and then calve her, you know it is a couple of years before you get any cash flow. Mm -hmm. so you need to be in, in the cows. You need to be very aware of how I can uh, get cash flow. You know, one way to do it is to start in the cow business is start with some, you know, older cows that have been depreciated out. So if you don't understand what you're doing and lose one, it is not a big loss. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, you can you can you get some calves. And if you're if you're profitable, you can keep some of those heifer calves back, you know, or you get the older cows and breed them to the bulls if you're really into genetics. And then you can start building your herd slowly. One thing in life, you always got to remember that speed kills in lots of things you do. So hmm. that's a good point. A uh, question that might be kind of a dumb question, but I'm not really sure when you talk about when you're determining what's overvalued and undervalued, where are you looking for to even get the numbers? Are you basing that? Are you sitting in the sale barn and kind of basing it on what you're seeing in the beginning and buying towards the end of the sale? Are you being, buying it on last week's like last week's sale prices or where, where are you getting your information to make decisions on? How, how you make these decisions is you look at market reports. And, and you find out what is undervalued and you and you develop what we call a sale barn ticket, what you can pay. Mm -hmm. and, and then you go to the sale barn and you will discover that, that, you know, what was undervalued one week, you get sit down at the sale barn and you start bidding. Well, you discover that the order buyers there had a lot more money in their pocket, but they didn't have to spend it because nobody was pushing them. So you sit down and all of a sudden, what may be undervalued one week will be overvalued the next week. And you've just got to adjust. My wife used to buy for us. And like she said, whatever, you know, she very seldom bought what she thought she was going to buy. <laughs> and it's just, that's kind of the way it is. One, one takeaway that I want people to understand is, is if you're in the cow calf business, you, you are into marketing I, I mean, because the moment you keep a cow, you've just bought a calf for your cost of production. Do you understand what I'm saying there? What your cost of production is, is what you're paying for calves. 
And when you add in depreciation, it could be a very high priced calf. That's a great point. And, and unless there's anything big you want to share, that might be a good place to wrap up as we're starting to have some internet troubles here. But one thing, if, if you want to, if you want to learn more about this, you know, I teach a school, Hand in Hand Livestock uh, Solutions teaches a school, and 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 uh, Doug Ferguson teaches a marketing school. Doug also does Doug's Marketing Intel, and you need to. It's in. You can Google that. It's it's on uh, Farm Progress. It's really he does a really good job of writing for that. Well, thanks so much, Wally. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this today. I, I learned a lot myself, and I know our listeners will as well. So thanks for your time. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com. <laughs>